Welcome to Colonize the Ocean podcast, where we discuss oceanic colonization, exploration, and education with your hosts, Adam Jewell and Brendan Traxler. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first episode of the Colonize the Ocean podcast. I am Adam Jewell, the social media manager and public relations specialist for the Atlanta Sea Colony Project, and with me is the co-host and the founder of both Colonize the Ocean and Atlanta Sea Colony, Brendan Traxler. Brendan, why don't you give a hearty hello to the listeners? Hello, listeners. So, we made a little bit of a teaser that people may or may not have listened to, but uh, let's just recap. So um, tell the listeners and tell the people that are interested in this show what exactly this show is going to be about. Not necessarily just this episode, but uh, the, uh, the show in general. Sure. So we are discussing all things ocean colonization related, whether that be above the water, under the water, in the water, you know, technology, habitat, sea setting, um, all things current, future, and past that have to deal with ocean colonization. And to kick it off, we're doing an episode. Uh, we're actually going to make this kind of like a, a two-parter. We're going to be talking about uh, habitats that are in the water or underwater habitats or however you want to phrase that. And today we're going to kind of talk about the the history of the habitats that have been in the water. So first of all, I think uh, and uh, you made a note, Brendan, in our in our show notes. Something I'm not used to is actually being prepared for a show. So uh, I, I thank you for putting together these notes that we can talk about. And we uh, you made a note in here. A good book for doing some research on this outside of what you're listening to now is Living and Working in the Sea by Ian Koblick. Koblick? I don't know how to pronounce that. Maybe you do. So that's kind of where we got some of the information from that. And there's also just a great Wikipedia article. If you just uh, look up underwater habitat, you'll find a lot of pictures and a lot of information about the same kind of stuff um, we're going to be talking to you guys about today. So to before we get into the habitat part, Brendan, why don't you tell us about what an aquanaut is, because that's kind of important to the concept of living underwater. Sure. I'm basically, just like a astronaut, an aquanaut is anyone who uh, remains underwater for 24 hours around that, you know. Uh, same thing with the astronaut. It's happened, somebody's gone to space. Aquanaut, somebody's gone underwater, lived underwater for a period of time. And that we'll probably use that phrase here and there. So I just want to bring that up at the beginning here so everybody doesn't think it's something we've made up or um, and just understands what it means. Yeah, absolutely. And it's important to make that distinction between just like a scuba diver, an aquanaut, as someone, like you said, is living underwater for at least a period of 24 hours or longer. And we'll kind of get into the, that with some of the details. And it's not in your notes, so I'm going to throw a curveball at you, Brendan, but um, one thing I wanted to add to this is one of the things about living underwater, because we're going to be talking about it with a lot of these uh, different habitats, is the depths of where they're at. So 
one of the interesting things about living underwater and one of the challenges is the pressure. So can you kind of give us like a brief explanation or overview of what can kind of happen with the body and why it's such a interesting topic for science and research? What, uh, what can happen to us staying at certain depth? Sure. I mean, that could be a lengthy discussion, but real quick, basically, when you're, for example, when you fly in an airplane, for those of you who have flown, your ears will pop. You'll feel the, the pressure difference um, as you, you reach a higher elevation. The same thing happens underwater. Um, you may have felt it in the pool. And for divers, this is common. Anything past uh, 10 meters, 33 feet around there is one atmosphere. And what happens at that point in time is you enter in a second atmosphere. Not only do you feel the physical pressure, but if you sit down for, for a scuba diver, for example, when you're coming up, you have to do decompression stops um, before you can come up. Because if you come up too fast, the nitrogen that's in your blood isn't able to release fast enough and can cause what they call the bends. Uh, when you're staying underwater for long periods of time, that nitrogen builds up. It can't. You have to have a, a longer stay. It may be a day, a week. Uh, you have to stay on for too long. It can be even longer than that. Um, so that's been one of the big hurdles for underwater colonization. Even when scientists go um, down to Aquarius undersea lab, which we'll talk about, I think in the next episode, that they have to, they have a, a period of time where they can, if they don't write, if they don't come up from staying there, um, they have to, decompress for a period of time so as i was saying it's one of the major hurdles to opening up this this frontier to the the common person because if you want to go any deeper than 33 feet one atmosphere whatever you want to call it it, it raises a whole new series of problems and so that's one of the things we're trying to combat and there are solutions to that and there are answers on how to do that um, it's just costly and, and has not really been put into play in a, in a large-scale operation yet. So, kicking off, and uh, we kind of talked beforehand that we'll kind of flip-flop these. So, the very first one I'm going to take uh, that is on this list is The Man in the Sea 1 and 2. This was by Robert Stenuit in The Man in the Sea 1 Project, uh, run by Edwin A. Link. On September 6, 1962, he spent 24 hours and 15 minutes at a depth of 61 meters. Now, Brendan, you're a little bit smarter than I am. Uh, what's the equivalent of 61 meters in American? Well, I mean, a, a meter is 3.3 feet. So, what's 3.3 times 61 would be? I don't know. You do the math. It's over yeah. 180 feet. There you go. Okay, and like we just talked about, you know, after 33 feet, it starts to become an issue. So, uh, right off the bat, a uh, a, a tremendous feat for being kind of one of the first uh, habitats and first stays. And then June 1964, Stenuit and John Lindbergh spent 49 hours at a depth of 126 meters, which we just said, you know, 61 meters, about 180 feet, over 180 feet. So then this other feet is just about 400 feet. And I'm hoping I did that right good. Uh, <laughs> I hope I did that math good off my head. And then, yeah, moving on to Conshell. You want to talk about Conshell? Yeah, I'll press that all these were, I mean, the ones we're talking about were almost all done by in the, the science community, the Navy, um, different organizations along those lines. They were 
never intended for the common man per se, but it was to, uh, as we go down, these were all scientific explorations to see how it affected man living underwater. And then we get, when we get into the con shelf, we get into Jacques Cousteau, which is a household name with underwater exploration. Um, he had the con shelf one, two, and three throughout most of the sixties. And, um, he had these built. The first one, uh, was in 62. Uh, it was at right at, uh, 33 feet. And it was, he stayed in that for seven days. The con shelf two was in 63. This is the one that I think when people think of Conshelf, they really think about it. It was a starship-shaped building. It was pretty spacious for an underwater habitat. It actually had a garage where they had what was called the diving saucer, and it was its own personal submarine that they would go around in. And uh, if you ever see pictures of it, it's, it's one of the cooler-looking habitats. Anyway, they stayed down there for um, 30 days on that one. So it was, it was a really a duration period that had been really – not seen before at this point in time. They had another cabin um, that was down deeper where um, some other Cousteau, before the, the aquanaut term, they were called oceanauts or aquanauts. It's kind of shared, um, but Cousteau always referred to them oceanauts, I believe. Um, and they stayed there at 100 feet for a while. Conshell 3 came around in 65. So, I mean, Cousteau was busting his out like, really quick, uh, and that was where six divers stayed at 336 feet for three weeks, um, and that was the end of the Cousteau era of really the habitats, and I think that what most of us that are looking for this field, we all look back to Cousteau and what he did, even though there was, as you said, some that had come before him, and, and many that have come since. Cousteau was really that landmark on, hey, here's what you can do. Here's what we have done and really set the bar for what everybody else has been trying to do since then. And just a teaser uh, with this podcast, Cousteau will probably be brought up quite a bit, I believe. Uh, As you said, he's a pioneer in all things oceanic. And I did a little additional um, looking. The Conshelf Project, and correct me if I'm wrong, Cousteau actually wanted to have what a total of five habitats at in his initial plans, but uh, and ended up stopping at three. Does that sound correct to you? Well, I know that he had several plans. Now, there's you know quick you know Google search even you can see some of the different designs and drawings for uh, what he wanted to do even past then, and, and they were you know for the time and even for right now they're pretty audacious as far as he was really looking for the future of of having you know permanent underwater settlements and so that was really what he was striving for okay so the next one on our list was sea lab one two and three and as i was telling brennan beforehand it's taken everything i have to not talk about uh the sea lab 2021 cartoon it was one of my favorite cartoons and shows probably not safe for kids so i'm not you know we're not gonna get distracted but it is a fun fact about me Anyway, and, and we're all glad that you're not going to be singing that. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll put it in a bonus episode. Oh, please no. <laughs> okay, so Sea Lab One was lowered off the coast of Bermuda on July twentieth, nineteen sixty-four, to a depth of one hundred ninety-two feet, which is fifty-nine meters, and that's where they were to stay submerged for three weeks. Uh, the experiment, however, was halted after 11 days due to an approaching tropical storm. 
and we've kind of talked about this before in one of our videos. We've talked about storms and how they affect underwater structures, and we can save the bulk of that conversation for another episode. But if people really want to know, they can go back and watch our Q and A video because that's where we discussed it. Right. I mean, if they're really wanting to know about that, but yeah, we definitely. The, the the brief explanation is that it's underwater um, habitats aren't immune to you know tropical storm damage, but what we did discuss is that the deeper the the structures are, the the safer they are from said tropical storm. But we'll get into that in a different episode. And like you said, you can go back to our Q and A video on our Facebook page, and you can hear all about that. So Sea Lab Two was launched in 1965 at a depth of 205 feet and 62 meters for those keeping score. Each team spent 15 days in the habitat, but aquanaut astronaut Scott Carpenter remained below for a record 30 days. February 15, 1969, Sea Lab 3 was lowered to 610 feet, which is 190 meters. The habitat soon began to leak, and four divers were sent to repair it, but they were unsuccessful. And with this being in 1969, this is still... Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Once again, this is still pretty early in the in the science community for underwater habitats. So, I believe is the deepest depth we've talked about so far. Um, so they had a kind of a learning curve to go through. Yeah, and I think it's interesting is with the '60s is we had you know the, the space race, and we also had this all of a sudden out of nowhere this this surgence of underwater habitats too. So not only were we reaching for the stars, but we're also reaching deep into the waters as well. And I think it's an interesting time that, as we see, even though there's more that have come after that, this was the, the glory days of underwater habitats, it seems, um, this 10-year period. Also, I'll make a note that you talked about astronaut Scar Scott Carpenter, and you'll want to remember that name because that will be brought up in the next episode as well. Yeah, like you said, we're going to be talking a lot about the, the relationship between space exploration the, basically like sea colonization and sea research. There's a huge relationship there, and they kind of go hand-in-hand in, hand in a lot of different things. Um, do you want to go ahead and talk about Tektite 1 and 2? Yeah, I mean, the next several ones we're going to discuss, we're going to just pretty much go through the next ones pretty quick because, like I say, there are quite a few out there. Um, and even when I was doing the notes on this, there was a, a bunch out there that qualified, but I didn't even throw them in here just because there are so many little habitats over the years that have popped up. Um, as far as design style, the Tektite ones, personally, I think are some of the coolest looking ones. I don't know why. They just visually are, are very appealing to me. Um, there's two of them in 69 and 70. Um, the one in 69 lasted 58 days. The one in uh, 70, 10 to 20 days. So there's two different missions. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if you want to just go back and forth on these, Adam, or, or how you want to handle it. But um, we're just going to go through them pretty quick. Yeah, and um, and I made a note on this one, but I'm going to save the note for the end here. And I'm going to go through these next two just because there's uh, just not a whole lot of information to throw in there. But there was a hydrolab um, that was that had 180 missions in it from the years 1970 to 85. So a good 15-year span that they were doing missions. And like I said, 180 of them. And then... Uh, correct me on this pronunciation, Edeleb, Edeleb, <laughs> or I don't know how they pronounce it. Um, that was in April 26th of 1968. Uh, four students spent 48 hours 
in this uh, habitat. And then 1972, Edelhab 2 was at a depth of 13.7 meters. So that kind of goes back to the probably, you know, a little over 40 feet underwater there. And one of the things that, uh, and I made a note on one of them, but it kind of ties in with all of them, is that we keep talking about how there's been missions down there or people are spending time down there. And probably the big question is, well, why? What are they, what are they trying to learn down there? Well, we talked at the beginning about, uh, decompression and the pressure. Um, so a lot of these missions were about, you know, blood changes, sleep patterns, um, oxygen toxicity. Once again, the compression, decompression, uh, decom- decompression sickness. Basically how being underwater and the pressure and being in these habitats, you know, away from our normal, I guess the, the human ecosystem, you know, how being away from that uh, really affects us. So, and once again, we kind of talked about this going hand in hand with space research and space exploration. And you made a great point that, you know, during the same years of uh, the space race was also kind of the glory days of, you know, underwater habitats, underwater research. And it was really, a lot of it was trying to accomplish the same goal and trying to learn the same things. Sure. These last several we're going to be getting into are more foreign. Um, most of the ones we've discussed up till now have been American-based. But Jacques Rougeri, uh, I think is how you pronounce his name, uh, he's a French, um, very wealthy Frenchman who's had some very – he's an architect and with a, a bit of a flair. So if you see any pictures of them, they're very futuristic-looking. They're, they're not your typical – Underwater habitat you've seen to this point. He's had several over the years, starting back in 77, going up through the early 80s. The first one, it was a mobile habitat. Um, it stayed at a depth between 9 and 60 meters. The second one was kind of suspended um, between 0 and 60 meters. And the last one um, was uh, similar to the others for about 7 to 15 days at about 12 meters. And um, we'll try to put some links in the show notes to some of these these images and some of these information just so you can, you can check them out for yourself. Um, but they're very cool-looking um, habitats. Um, then past uh, him, there was the BHA-1 and the Helgoland. Both those are, are foreign. Um, they're European. The Bentos 300... Um, and then, like I say, there's several other smaller ones past that. Um, all these habitats that we talked about in this episode here have lasted from the 60s up until the 80s. Um, so over a 20-some, 25-year span of time for the most part, uh, we're looking at what the, these all these what dozen or so habitats that we've talked about today. Yeah, and kind of tack on to what you said um we encourage you guys to, you know, we'll include a lot of this information in the show notes and include the links to it. Um, with Jacques Rougerie, we wanted to make sure um, we're kind of dancing the line of wanting to be able to, you know, tell you guys the names of the habitats without butchering them. So we do want you to check them out, but they do have names that we just don't want to insult the work by pronouncing it wrong. So we definitely want you to check out the different ones that he's got. and. Um, you know, look at the pictures of those because, like you said, these were really uh, kind of original looking, and it kind of uh, 
took a spin off of, uh, you know, a futuristic look. And, and you know, to talk about the names. I mean, the first one, I, I believe they're pronounced the Galafi, the Aqua Boule, the Hippocamp. Um, if I got the pronunciation anywhere so near close. You're a lot braver about, than I am. I wasn't going to, I was not going to try to tackle it. So that's why mm-hmm. I was trying to like, so, I mean, kudos to you because at least that does sound right, but I just don't want to make a fool of myself trying to say it. <laughs> And you're probably right. I don't know about that, but anyway. So that's the episode one of this topic. Uh, like, like we said, we want to do a, uh, a past, present, and future. So we thought we'd give you guys a brief explanation of the, the past aquatic habitats that have been out there. And moving into episode two, we're going to be talking about habitats that have, uh, opened up in 1980 further on. And uh, beyond that, we'll be able to talk about future plans and be able to give ourselves a little bit of a plug when we get into that. But um, yeah, what uh, what else do we want to add to this episode before we call it a call it an episode, Brennan? Well, I think that we're also looking at right now we've, we've got um don't give anything away, but we've got you know we're looking at having actual interviews with some people, and we're definitely going to have some uh, people on that that are going to be able to speak more to these topics, especially this one that will. We'll quiz a little bit about their, their knowledge on there that maybe have some more years on us and experience than we do into these topics, um, to, to give their own twist or their own insights into the past, the present and the future of underwater habitats. So if you guys are interested in checking out some of the work that we're doing, you can go to colonizetheocean.com or you can go to our personal Facebook page at, uh, Atlanta Sea Colony. Or if you want to message us, you can get a hold of us at contact at AtlantaSeaColony.com. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or uh, or ideas or things that you want us to talk about on this show, uh, like my friend Brendan said, we're going to be trying to get some guests on the show, some more experts uh, to be able to talk about different issues. And going into next episode, we're going to be talking about the current stuff that's uh, going on with underwater habitats. Anything else you want to close out with, Brendan? I don't think so. I'll keep that covered. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to the first episode, and we will catch you again very soon with part two of the Underwater Habitats.